Well, good morning. Don't you like that choir? Oh, I tell you what, it brings us to a very place of worship and celebration. Would you join me in a time of prayer? Father, thank you so much for what the choir has presented to us as a call to worship. The ability to take the opportunity to count our blessings, to understand your presence, that no matter what obstacles that we face, Father, you have blessed us so much. We need to concentrate, focus on that and on you. We want to give you the honor and praise and glory you deserve. So I pray this morning as we begin this time of worship that we have prepared ourselves, and that, Father, we'll hear what you have to say. We'll try to move everything that's uh, bothering us or things in our mind off to the side for this time frame and allow you just to speak to us with the power of your Holy Spirit. So, God, here we are to listen and then to respond as you call us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for being here. If this is your very first time, there is a guest card in the pew in front of you. We'd love for you to fill that out in its entirety and just drop it in one of the offering uh, containers as you leave one of the exits. We would appreciate that very much. If you are a uh, continuing guest, thank you for being here and for choosing First Baptist Church. And for members, we are so excited because we are here to worship. And I wonder if you might stand and let's begin our time of worship as a congregation.
from the throne of heaven's glory. join with me in prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for this moment in time that we're allowed to meet together and to sing praises to your name, Father, to worship you and rejoice in our relationship with you. Father, may we come with a learning heart this morning to hear what the message is that you've laid on the pastor's heart. Open our ears, our eyes, and our hearts, Father. We ask you to be with us in all endeavors we take for you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What do people think of when they think of the church? Any, any church. Hopefully, it is by our love. If they think of us for other reasons, I think we've missed the mark. Do they think of us as people who condemn others or judge others or criticize other lifestyles? I hope that they think of us as loving. And what better time in the world to show that love? Because there's a lot of hate out there. Uh, you see that as school teachers, you see that at your job, you see that with your grandkids perhaps. Let us be loving. We don't have to give up our standards in any way, but we can love through anything. God 
is the judge. We are not to be judges. We're to be lovers. Love God first, and then let that love go beyond its very roots. We experience it today, and we encourage each other with the songs that we're about to sing. The love that binds us together here in this very room. But let us take it from this place and show love even when we disagree. They know we are Christians.
morning, church family. Our scripture reading for today is from Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. Please join us as we are blessed by the sharing of these verses. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you who I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with you, Eodia, and I plead with you, Syntyche, to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. We are blessed by the reading of the scripture, for these are the words of the Lord.
Thank you, ladies. Last week, we uh, found that the Apostle Paul spoke to the church and gave them great hope, three certainties. The first certainty was that uh, for those who are followers of Christ, there is a heavenly home awaiting them. The second is a returning Redeemer, the one who's going to come and take us home. And the third, well, the third is a heavenly body, one that's like his. We don't totally know what that means, but we know it's good. It's excitement. When Paul writes this letter from prison to the church at uh, Philippi, he is addressing a number of different things. And as we see his pivot from those glorious certainties to an issue within the church that had come to his attention, he decides to focus his attention on it because it honestly affects everyone, not only the church, but individuals. How do you overcome conflict? There's not one of us in this room that has not had conflict at some point, a disagreement with somebody, uh, somehow, some way, trying to figure out how do we maneuver around that rather than just separating ourselves and not talking to one another or creating more disruption. So the Apostle Paul he brings this to our attention in our passage this morning. When Epaphroditus visited Paul during his imprisonment, uh, he brought him word that this church that Paul had joy for, that he loved, that there was a problem, an issue, there was a conflict. We're not told exactly what the problem was, but the church was bruised by the attitude of two people who opposed each other. And so in this passage, he's urging these two individuals to lay aside their differences. As we go in and dive into this passage, there are three things that I think that we can learn from this challenging situation and actually apply to our personal lives as well as our church life. Number one, problems in the church. Well, we're all going to have problems. We're going to have issues in relationships. And churches are no different. If you've been a part of a church at any point in time for any period of time, you know that there always are issues, problems. There are things that happen. Um, in Sun City West, we come from all over the country, and we bring all kinds of things with us. And so trying to figure out how do we, how do we uh, mesh all of that together is not always an easy task. But the Apostle Paul gives us encouragement on steps to take when there are those personal issues. The quarreling of these two believers had begun to affect the church, began to, to bruise the church and somewhat to their reputation. We find that the conflict bruised that sweet fellowship. Paul remembers that fellowship and, and how they fellowshiped together. And this issue that was taking place was still under the surface. It wasn't something that had boiled over into a great division, and yet it was moving that direction. And Epaphroditus and the leaders of the church were concerned about that, and so Paul wanted to address that concern. He writes in the first verse, the latter part of it, he says, Whom I, I love and long for, my joy and my crown. Talking about the church. He says to the people of the church, You are my joy and my crown. I love you with everything that I have. And so he starts out with that understanding. They knew Paul loved them. He was instrumental in the beginning, the starting of that church. We find that the church had always been a delight for the Apostle Paul. Whereas the church at Corinth 
was a constant concern for Paul. The church at Philippi was a constant source of joy and refreshment to him. When he thought about them and when he remembered the times together, the interaction together, that's what he thought is the joy, the harmony. And so they, uh, they had a close relationship. If you remember, they had partnered together for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the, the church at Philippi had demonstrated their love for Paul by sending Epaphroditus that great distance to Rome to make sure that, number one, Epaph- that, uh, that Paul was doing okay, and number two, to give him love gifts, love offerings or gifts, whatever they were, to say, we care about you, we love you. And so that close relationship meant the world to Paul. And he didn't want anything to create that issue. He also did not want anything to create the issue within the body of Christ. So being the joy and the crown uh, for the Apostle Paul, Paul wanted to, to speak to the issue and try to move it into a direction that would be profitable for the kingdom. We find that the conflict had uh, come about because of differing viewpoints. Paul was told by Epaphroditus that uh, Eudea and Syntyche's attitude toward each other, that they were, not, uh, they were not on the best of terms. Their problem most likely was of a personal nature. Somehow they saw things differently. They viewed things differently in some issue. But unfortunately, as happens in a church, what happens in a personal life or personal relationship of people in the church sometimes carries over into the church. And Paul was concerned about the church beginning to pick sides. And that would disrupt the church. And so Paul knows these two individuals. And he shows no favoritism. If you notice, he says in verse 2, I plead with Eudea and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Here we find that, uh, that these two, and not only these two, but all people have conflicts. If you go back and you look through church history, you find that there were always these different vantage points on things. Um, Paul and Barnabas in Acts chapter 15. The scripture says when they were discussing going on the second missionary journey, the conversation revolved around taking John Mark back, and Paul was not going to have it because John Mark had deserted them. Uh, on their first missionary journey. And Barnabas, being that son of encouragement, wanted to bring him alongside and, and encourage him along the way. And the Bible says that they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. So, two mission trips took place. They had a sharp disagreement. Didn't mean that one was right and one was wrong, but it was very sharp. I think that probably uh, these two ladies in the church at Philippi probably had some kind of conflict like that. They, they looked at things differently. And they weren't able to come together for a unified front. And that was beginning to create some issues. In our passage today, Paul pleads with these ladies so that neither one of them thought that he was blaming one or the other for the issue. I think that's very important. As we work through the process of relationships and trying to heal relationships and trying to bring people together that have differing viewpoints or, or if they just have issues with one another, trying to help them to understand that, listen, 
we, we move toward this in a very, very specific way, to not blame, but to try to get to the point of where God wants us as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. So he pleads with them, the scripture says, to agree with each other in the Lord. There was a personal issue, but there also was a common basis whereby they could solve that problem. That common basis was they both were believers in Jesus Christ. They both had the Spirit of God living inside of them. He says, <clears throat> you are in the Lord. Other places in the Scripture, it is, uh, it is very specific that says, listen, if you have ought against your brother or sister, you need to go to them. You need to address this. You need to make it right. Uh, Matthew chapter 18 is a great passage that deals with that. There are other passages that, that Paul and other writers wrote that says, listen, when you have a disagreement about something, you've got to come together. When you're, when you're brothers and sisters in Christ, you ought to be able to talk through that because you're in the Lord, and the Lord's desire takes the highest, the highest point. We also see that this conflict threatened the Christian heritage. Paul hints uh, at the great heritage of the Philippian church in verse 3 when he says, Help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. And here we find it's obvious that Paul wrote here with an understanding that the church at Philippi, they were very aggressive in communicating and spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ throughout Macedonia. These faithful believers who were named, Paul said, had contended at Paul's side in the cause of the gospel. These two ladies, Clement and the rest of the body, he says, he wanted them to understand, you've been by my side, you've held my arms up. We've together linked arms to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ, to change lives in a region. So now don't, don't take a step back. Don't let a conflict create an issue that might change exactly that partnership. You remember that partnership, don't you? In Philippians chapter 1, one of our first sermons in this series, Paul said, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to the completion until the day of Jesus Christ. They were partners together, this whole body along with Paul, to do what Christ told all of us to do, go and make disciples. The heritage of the church was one that was strong, evangelistic, witnessing to a lost and pagan world. But the problem between these two believers now had swept into the church. And this great heritage of a mission-minded church had been threatened by this conflict. And I can tell you, through the course of history, there have been disagreements by believers in Jesus Christ in churches who have been great in accomplishing things for God, but because of that has created vision in the church to where, division in the church to where they are set aside. They've been dormant for years because there was not that, that movement of God to say, this is what we do together. Three of the churches that I have pastored over the years, I came into those pastorates after they had split, created new congregations somewhere else, 
working through those difficulties. It takes time and effort, repairing those relationships, striving in every way that we possibly could to get us back on track, back focused on the main thing that God wanted the body of Christ to do. And that's to love each other, and love Him, and communicate the gospel to the world. So we find that what Paul is striving to do here is to bring perspective to the church. If this conflict continues and the church continues to pick sides on personal matters that don't matter, then the church will spiral into a full-blown division and it would decimate their mission-minded calling. Have you ever been a part of a church when you sensed and you knew the powerful presence of God was no longer moving in that church? I can. And probably a few, few of our preachers here can too. It's terrible. It's haunting. The loss of opportunity. So, Paul doesn't want that. Paul tells us, listen, here are the things that we need to do. So let me give you a solution. And here Paul goes. It's a solution that I think that we can present in our individual lives and in our relationships with individuals and also with the church as a whole. He came to the defense of this bruised church. He loved this church. He wanted to make sure that peace returned to this fellowship. You see, the church of the living God should always be treated lovingly with compassion and care. So Paul set the church on a course that would lead to spiritual peace. So what, what is that course? There are four things that he said. Number one, it requires a new attitude. In verse 4, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Paul says, listen, what we don't need is conflict. We need to go back and we need to worship God. It is critical to have that joy in your life when you come to church. Nobody wants to come to a church where you dread walking through the door. You want to come to a church that's joyful, that's happy, that's excited, that's on fire for doing exactly what God desires it to do. Paul knew that it was impossible for Christians to harbor resentment and unforgiveness toward each other if they rejoiced in the Lord. Did you hear that? Two times in one short verse, he commands the church to turn to praise rather than the conflict he says rejoice in the lord always i say it again rejoice paul had a lot more to say about joy and rejoicing about this church at philippi than any other church that he wrote about and yet paul was imprisoned <laughs> he, he was in prison and he still said, rejoice. You know, we go through a lot of things, don't we? We can get pretty down. I think we always have to remember what Paul was going through. Even in the midst of a difficult ministry of his own, he encouraged the church to rejoice. Paul, even imprisoned, praised God for what he was going to do. He had learned from experience that rejoicing in Jesus will put a song in your heart and a smile on your face and a bounce in your step as you walk through the journey. He knew that 
this is what the church needed a new attitude an attitude adjustment a, a recentering their focus on the main thing and the main thing if you remember is to please god in all of our lives the main thing is to please god secondly it requires a new spirit he said in verse five let your gentleness be evident to all it is uh, apparent that these two believers certainly had not been gentle with each other because it was a concern and a concern that epaphroditus brought to the apostle paul and so he commanded them and all of the philippian believers to forsake their partisan quarrelsome spirit and cultivate a spirit of gentleness and kindness and value of each other so to the problem church at corinth if you remember the apostle paul wrote love is very patient love is kind it does not envy it does not boast it is not proud it does not dishonor others it is not self-seeking it is not easily angered it keeps no record of wrongs love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth it always protects always trusts, always hopes always perseveres love never fails those are words we can take to our heart straight to our heart you see when the gentleness of jesus is present and evident then his followers impatience is driven out and patience replaces it when gentleness of jesus is present anger is driven out and kindness replaces it boastfulness is driven out and humility replaces it self-centeredness is driven out and concern for others replaces it this is what happens when we have a new attitude when love takes place when believers in jesus christ have that common basis of love for one another and love for god they figure out a way to make it work doesn't say you always have to believe the same thing but you got to walk the same road it's not uniformity but it's unity the apostle paul says this is key he goes to the third thing and he says it requires a new sensitivity in verse 5 the latter part he says the lord is near <laughs> in one sense i just remember as a kid my mom saying now you better watch out because your dad will be home in a little bit <laughs> <laughs> this was a reminder to all involved in the conflict that jesus witnesses every unkind act word or thought he wanted them to be reminded yes the lord is coming he's near but he's also near now and he sees everything he even knows the very inner thoughts that we have Martin Luther glanced back over his childhood and he remembered walking by a, uh, a parish church that had stained glass in it. He remembered looking at that stained glass and he would shrink down 
at the sight of a frowning Jesus who had a sword by his side ready to lash out at the wicked. And that's the image that he carried through those early days. I want you to know that our Lord is not a frowning, vengeful Savior, but his heart is grieved when our fellowship is divided. Any of his churches. And so we need to have a sensitivity that, that the Lord is near. He sees everything. And so we need to live in the example of Jesus Christ. Fourth, it requires a new commitment. Verse 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Here Paul both encourages and exhorts these believers in Christ, saying that if you're completely dependent on God to supply your needs, then you cannot be quarreling with each other. If you're completely depending on God to supply your needs, you can't be quarreling with, with someone else. You see, the two are completely incompatible. Because if you're at odds with somebody, you're obviously not depending completely on God to supply your needs. Because you have stepped in to say, wait a second, this, this, I don't like this over here, so I'm going to interject this and this conflict begins depending on the lord means that you know what the lord's going to take care of this i don't know how he may use me in some way but i'm going to try to figure out how i can mend this relationship how i can get along with one another even though i might have a different vantage point or a different viewpoint on something still come alongside and walk hand in hand or arm in arm and accomplish the highest priority that god has anxiety replaces the peace of God in this fellowship. Paul said that peace can be reclaimed through three things. He said through prayer, petition, and thanksgiving. He said if you want to have that peace once again, if you want to have this, this disagreement that's beginning to, to behind the scenes and under the surface begin to, to create a, a mumbling and grumbling, if you want to come back to that sweet fellowship of partnership that we have together, then what, what has to happen is that you've got to pray and you've got to focus on petition and you've got to have thanksgiving. In other words, you've got to turn to God completely. Because if you want Him and you're going to depend on Him completely, you've got to turn yourself over to Him to supply every need. Every need... Supply every need is not just the physical needs that we have. It's the needs that we have in wonderful relationships, relationships that flourish, that grow. As brothers and sisters in Christ, he's saying this is what has to happen. You cannot engage in <laughs> prayer and petition and thanksgiving if your attitude toward another believer is wrong. You might go through the actions, but it's wrong. Paul called the new commitment to fill their hearts and let that old attitude go away. So he's talked about the problems, and I'm not trying to highlight these two ladies because they just represent anybody, any one of us. 
But what Paul's solution is, is fourfold to help us to focus on getting everything back. In other words, I want you to refocus on the main purpose, which is pleasing God, your connection with God, your relationship with God. And he gives a promise. Paul says, listen, if you will do this, then here's the promise. Verse 7 says, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There is nothing like the peace of God. We find that this is a promise both to the individual, but also the body of Christ. When anxiety overwhelms the individual Christian, here is the blessed promise to help you as you guide yourself through the difficulties of life, whether it be the loss of a spouse or a family relationship that's hard or just the financial insecurity sometimes we have or health issues when that anxiety builds up, and I'll talk more about that next week. But when that builds up, he, will, he says he will guide you through this. By the same token, when problems overwhelm a church, he says, here's the promise. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, meaning we can't understand it. We can't even hardly describe it. But it's something most incredible. First, we find it's a dependable promise. So what is the peace of God? It is powerful, and only God has it. It's not the peace of man. It will never come. It's not the peace of your spouse or your children. The peace of God is completely different, and it's powerful. It is a quality of peace that is impossible to achieve humanly. We can't work hard enough, sweat more, serve Jesus more to get his peace. It is a dependable peace. He says, it will not only guard your hearts, but will also guard your minds in Christ Jesus. He's going to take care of you. His powerful peace will guard you, your heart, your mind, the very essence of how you think and how you make decisions. That which is truly you. It is a peace that is mediated only in Christ Jesus. He's the only one that can give it. And even though you are a believer in Jesus Christ and His Spirit lives inside of you, if you are not depending on Him completely, this peace will not be there. It can be there. But you must depend on Him. It comes in Christ Jesus. Him having control of our lives. Remember, when we decided to follow Jesus, we said, yes, I want him to be my Savior. I want him to be the Lord of my life. I want him to be the director of my life to direct where I go, what I do. We submit ourselves to the creator of the universe. So in the midst of that, if we're going to have his peace, we need to be following him. Because he says, my ways are not your ways. It's a great promise. 
And it's a promise for a church that might be going through issues. It's also a promise for the individual who might be trying to navigate life at a very difficult time. And that peace of God, it's dependable. He will be with you if you follow him, if you depend upon him. Doesn't mean, it does not mean that you won't go through those difficulties because that's just life. There's nothing like going through the difficulties of life with the peace of God in you. Also, it's a conditional promise. He says in verses 8 and 9 that, uh, that for the peace to return to their fellowship at Philippi, that some conditions must be met. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. We can't overlook the conditions for that peace. We have to follow those. And he kind of guides us through that. Everything that we look at here is something that he says, I want you to think about these things. What are these things? You've got to think about what's true, what's noble, what's right, what's pure, what's lovely, what's admirable, what's excellent, what's praiseworthy. And so when we're going through the difficulties or we're having conflict or we're just having a hard time grasping the peace of God, he says, listen, if you will think on these things, follow my example, the peace of God will guide you and be with you and get you through anything. He promises that. A lot of times when I'm talking with individuals who are going through tough times, I, I have them write verse 8 on an index card. And it's on there, and then I have them on the other side. I said, okay, I want you, I want you to list out everything in your life that you can think of that that goes with what is true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy. I want you to write those things down and you carry that with you wherever you go. And if you start feeling down, discouraged, overwhelmed, I want you to take that out. I want you to read that verse again. And then I want you to go back and think about these things, Paul says. Think about them. Not just with the mind, but it's also a spiritual thinking. Because if you do that, you'll all of a sudden remember, oh yeah, God is always with me. He will help me through anything. And his peace, his peace will guide me through those difficult times. So he says, listen, some of your minds are filled with negative, irrelevant thoughts about other people. But I want you to fill them with noble and respectful thoughts you see you've got to value each other as Christ values each person how much does Christ value each person well first and foremost he loves each person in this world unconditionally not just the believers because I was once not a believer. 
and he loved me unconditionally. And I chose to follow him. Jesus loves every single person unconditionally. And secondly, he sees their potential. He sees what they can be in Christ. When you look out among the people, not only brothers and sisters, but those that are in your peer groups, and they're lost, remember that. That God values each one of us. Unconditional love. And he sees our potential and their potential. And that's what we ought to do. We ought to love everybody unconditionally. And if we love them unconditionally, we're not going to be in a debatable, divisive process because we see them and we see them as Jesus sees them and their potential in Christ. And unconditional love means that, that you know, no matter what, I'm going to love you. The scripture says, even when we were his enemies, he loved us. That's how we ought to be with others. When he says the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the second is likened to it, love your neighbor as yourself. You've got to love yourself, but it's not a self-centered love. It's a God type of love, but that also says that you need to love God and you need to love each other. And so, as brothers and sisters in Christ, Paul says, here's, here's what has to happen. He says, listen, I want you to love each other. I want you to express your love and your peace and your, your joy to each other because God will bring this, this community of faith back into its focus, its mission-mindedness, because we're working together for the kingdom. Everything else blurs away. I don't know if you remember or not, when Paul and Barnabas had their sharp disagreement, and they each went their own ways, they still accomplished great things for God. But it was later on that the Apostle Paul, in 2 Timothy 4.11, he writes to Timothy, he says, get John Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. The very point of their sharp disagreement changed. Paul saw the value in John Mark for the ministry's sake. See the value in each person around you and see how together we can join to accomplish what God wants. There are going to be problems and obstacles there's a process to overcome them and to get the peace of God. And it's a promise. Just make sure you meet the condition. And then the peace of God can be with you. Father, as we move into our time of invitation, I just ask that you would help us. As we think about relationships that we have with family members and and uh, people at, at uh, work or in our clubs or in our neighborhood. I pray, God, that somehow you would help us to overcome those using this passage of Scripture, and let's have the peace of God. And God, I pray at the same time 
that you will help us as a body of faith. There is a strong unity within this church. We want to preserve it because, God, we want to be used by you to accomplish your kingdom purposes. We want to love one another, each other, as brothers and sisters in Christ. And, God, as we, as we do, we're going to see the powerful movement of your spirit in this place, in this community, and even greater, we're going to experience your peace. So, God, whatever we need to do today, Whatever adjustments individually we need to make, I pray that we'll make them. We'll be encouraged by them. And God will listen to you so that we might be the men and women of God who serve you faithfully. In Jesus' name we pray. If you'll stand, let's sing our invitation hymn. Let's go ahead and be seated if you would, okay? Um, this coming Thursday, as Nancy's making her way up to share our ministries for this week, uh, this coming Thursday is the National Day of Prayer, and we are joining together uh, here in our facility uh, with First Baptist Church, Sun City, Grand Community Baptist, and uh, Surprise, uh, Sante uh, Church, one of our uh, church plants. 
uh, and ourselves and anybody else in the community for, uh, uh, from 10 to 11 o'clock for the National Day of Prayer. We have uh, uh, numbers of leaders from those congregations that will be leading us in prayer. Uh, you're not going to have to pray out loud, so, so you come, pray silently, pray with the group. Uh, there will be music, but it, it will be a service that will be something uh, that, that you remember. Plus, uh, as we think about the National Day of Prayer, I, our nation needs prayer. And so we gather together to, to pray. So I hope that you will come from 10 to 11 this coming Thursday. And, uh, and let's really join arms together to focus upon Almighty God. Okay. And you'll see also that next Saturday at 6 a.m., note 6. You are invited to come and bring mallets and gloves. Donuts and coffee will be provided for you. There's going to be a shelf building event, so you will want to be part of that. There are three sign-up sheets in both lobbies, both the small lobby and the main lobby. The men's breakfast, the fellowship breakfast, will be this Tuesday morning at 8 o'clock. This is your last day to sign up. Men, don't wait until tomorrow afternoon to call because food will have already been purchased, and we want to make sure that there's enough food for everyone. So take the opportunity to sign up today before you leave. On Wednesday at 4 p.m., when the CLC is Partners on Mission, Pastor Francis, who is pastor of Solution Church International, will be speaking and sharing about his ministry. It's a potluck dinner, so we need to know what you're planning to bring. If you would sign up, please. And then on May the 11th, <clears throat> the Single Only Sisters, you're invited, all women, to come and make um, centerpieces for the tables in the CLC. Our own Susie Van will be helping you ladies know how to put together a centerpiece, and those you will get to enjoy on the tables in the CLC. So I hope that you will plan to come. Also, ladies, a week from tomorrow, May the 8th, at 12 noon in the CLC, there will be a fellowship lunch. You bring your own lunch and get to know each other better. So there's lots of activities going on this coming week, and I hope that you'll be a part of them. Thank you. Nancy, did you say 6 a.m. on Saturday? The one who recommended that, I don't see here today. <laughs> well, I think they're trying to beat the heat. And last time we, it was a guy's thing. Now we thought, let's invite the entire congregation. won't take long. How many of you have rubber mallets? Rubber mallets? Okay, all those that raise their hand, I'll see you here at 6 o'clock. And... Uh, they're going to have donuts and coffee available, but uh, it won't take a long time. I, there's not a lot of shelves to do. We're moving things around in our storage area. Uh, but before it gets too hot this summer, it's a good time to do that. So we'll look forward to that, plus everything else. This morning, we have uh, Reverend Steve and Nancy. Uh, come, come, come on up. Murray. And um, these, are, these are great folks. They, they have, uh, they have uh, been regular tenders for a, a while. Um, you, ha you have been in ministry for 60 55? 50? What is it? You're making me older. Why? Well, I, I was trying to remember what you, what you told me of how long it's been since you actually joined a church, not being a pastor, <laughs> but it's a long time. Yeah, it's, it's one of those weird things. Uh, you know, Bob, Scott, you guys probably, probably think about that too, of when you, when you retire from ministry and 
what do you do? You know, you go join a church. Well, that's kind of weird. We see a lot of people join, but we've never been. <laughs> so it is, it is, a, it is. But uh, uh, Steve and Nancy have been in ministry for many years. A lot of time, I think about 26 years in New Hampshire, 23, 26 years, as well as, uh, as other places. We are so excited to have y'all. And uh, I know y'all have really been seeking God's leadership on your next step of ministry and where that launching would be. And we are uh, elated that you have uh, chosen here and God has led you here. And we'll try to keep you as busy as you want to be. Okay? Okay. All right. Uh, all in favor, if you'd show that by the sign I of accepting them by their statement. Aye. If you're against that, sign no. Okay. All right. In just a few moments, as we close, our folks are going to come around and give you the right hand of Christian fellowship. And they're going to be saying two things. One is, welcome to your church family. And secondly, we're going to be looking forward to praying with you and working beside you in these days ahead. And we're very excited about that. I think you have been attending uh, the class in 112. Is that right? All the windows? Scott's, yeah? Okay, all right. Scott, could you come up here? Yeah. You want to give a plug for your class? Or? You bet. It's a better class. <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> all right. Let's stand for our closing prayer time. We are excited. You come and let these folks know that we're excited about having you. We thank you for the love story of Philip and how important it is for us to witness to others. I challenge all of you to call a friend, text a friend, email a friend, but do that today while you're drinking a nice cold glass of water <laughs> to keep hydrated. We thank you so much for this loving church and we ask for traveling mercies as we return to our homes. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. Thank you very much. You can come anytime. <laughs> yeah, I detected it. <laughs>